For all those watching right now, we are coming off a Holy Ghost high of five services in three days with uh, Pastor Anthony Freeman just tremendously, tremendously blessed us. Some of us don't have much of our voice left. We've shouted it out. We've sung it out. We've danced it out. I stayed up with Brother Anthony yesterday till like 4.30 in the morning. Had to get up two hours later and take him to the airport, and then I went right back to bed for another two hours. So, yeah, I'm just going to go home today and rest and take like the rest of the month off. <laughs> hey, it's my birthday tomorrow if I can do that. Yes, good try. We're going to move on now. Zechariah 10. Praise the Lord. Amen. Somebody say hallelujah. I'm going to do something different today. I'm going to preach on every verse. Um, Normally, I just take one key verse or a key set of verses and come up with a title. But today, when I was reading through this again and and just really understanding it, there's just too much there. I I don't want to just single out. And you'll basically see... um, that there's at least five messages within this one uh, section here, one chapter. There's, there's five messages. Literally, each one of these titles you can make into a message and build a whole sermon off of it. And so I thought they were important enough because, excuse me, because most of them have never even been mentioned yet in Zechariah. So they're very unique subjects to the book already. Uh, I mean, to the things that have already been mentioned. So I thought, you know, instead of just focusing in on one, why not just give you all five and and just kind of give them to you like a five-course meal. If you've ever had a five-course meal, it's not like going out to um, Jimmy's or Johnny's or to Dog Stop. It's not like getting a gyro that's like this big with French fries and a humongous Coke, and then the next course is, you know, a big hamburger. No, if you've ever gone to an Italian restaurant, or places that do five-course meals, normally the meals are about like this size. Each each course, rather, is about this size. It's like on a plate. It has a little decoration on it. It's just a little, and then the next one comes. So if you really took the courses of the five courses and put them on one plate, that would probably be the equivalent of what you get at Golden Corral your first time up, okay? You guys understand what I'm saying? So what I'm going to give to you today is a five-course meal. That doesn't mean I'm going to sit and preach five one-hour messages to you. It means it's still going to be a one-hour message, but it's going to have each uh, distinctive portions of something different on there. Are you all ready? I said that because I know you guys are preachers. I just wanted you to see what I was doing. So put it at the top because we like titles. Rain, diviners, shepherds, mighty men, and compassion. So those are the five courses I'm going to be serving you up today. Rain, diviners, shepherds, mighty men, and compassion. So what I'll do is I'm going to read through the chapter one time, uninterrupted, as much as I can. Help me, Holy Ghost, just so you can hear it. And then I'll go verse by verse. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Amen. Ask the Lord for rain in the springtime. It is the Lord who makes the storm clouds. He gives showers of rain to men and plants of the field to everyone. The idols speak deceit. Diviners see visions that lie. They tell dreams that are false. They give comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wander like sheep oppressed for a shepherd. Excuse me. My anger burns against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders, for the Lord Almighty will care. 
for his flock, the house of Judah, and make them like a proud horse in battle. From Judah will come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler. Together they will be like mighty men trampling the muddy streets in battle, because the Lord is with them. They will fight and overthrow the horsemen. I will strengthen the house of Judah and save the house of Joseph. I will restore them because I have compassion on them. They will be as though I had not rejected them, for I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. The Ephraimites will become like mighty men, and their hearts will be glad as with wine. Their children will see it and be joyful. Their hearts will rejoice in the Lord. I will signal for them and gather them in. Surely I will redeem them. They will be as numerous as before. Though I scatter them among the peoples, yet in distant lands they will remember me. They and their children will survive, and they will return. I will bring them back from Egypt and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them to Gilead and Lebanon, and there will not be enough room for them. They will pass through the sea of trouble. The surging sea will be subdued, and all the depths of the Nile will dry up. Assyria's pride will be brought down, and Egypt's scepter will pass away. I will strengthen them in the Lord, and in his name they will walk declares the Lord. Somebody say amen. All right, let's talk about the very first verse. Ask the Lord for rain in the springtime. It is the Lord who makes the storm clouds. He gives showers of rain to men and plants of the field to everyone. Somebody say rain. So right here, Zechariah is telling the people, I ask the Lord for rain. You want to get back into the land? You want to start seeing your harvest, your agricultural business grow? Ask the Lord for rain. Well, What is one of the curses that God puts against the people when they sin? What did he say he was going to do? Nobody knows. Send drought and famine. Thank you. He would shut the heavens and not send rain. What did he tell them to do when there wasn't rain? To repent of their sin. When there wasn't rain because of their sins, he told them to repent of their sin and ask for rain. Amen? Now go to 2 Chronicles 6, verse 26. Then I'm going to show you the next one, 714, which is one of the most famous famous passages out of the Old Testament. But I want to show you it in the dedication of the first temple, because remember now they're building the second temple as they're coming out of captivity. And as we've learned before, everything was already laid out for them. When they disobeyed God, they knew they were going to be cursed and be sent into exile and be punished because God told them that. And he even told them what to do when you start getting punished, and you're going to see that right now. But since they didn't listen, they got punished. Now that they're coming back from their punishment, what is God telling them to do? Ask for rain. Get right. Repent of your sin. Do it right this time. Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 26 says, When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you, and when you pray toward this place and confess your name, and when they confess your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land. Some may say send rain. Send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance. So here Solomon is praying at the dedication, when your people are afflicted, let this temple be a place that they can come and pray, get forgiveness of their sin, and have the rain come again. So in the biblical times, if you didn't have rain, if the people of Israel didn't have rain and they were suffering drought, 
they tended to look at that as a curse from God because of their wicked behavior. And when they would repent of their sin, seek the Lord, he would send rain. Now go to chapter 7, just one chapter over, verse 14. Same dedication of the temple, same person praying, Solomon. Verse 14, or go up to verse 13. When I shut the heavens so that there is no rain, and this is now God speaking, so it's basically before Solomon is praying and now God is speaking, rather. So it's not uh, God It's not Solomon speaking in both passages. It's Solomon asking, and then now God in the second passage responding. Amen? Because it went from, when you do this, when you do this, please do this. Now he's saying, when I do this, when I do this, I'll do this. So look at the difference. Verse 13, when I shut up the heavens, that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land and send a plague among my people, if my people, who are called by my name, hallelujah, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, come on, somebody say then, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. Somebody say heal the land. Come on, somebody say heal the land. Hallelujah, he will heal the land. Now my eyes will be open, my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. You see, rain to the people of Israel was a sign of blessing. And when they didn't have it, it was a sign of being cursed. Now, in the New Testament, how can we perceive this rain? Well, first of all, I want you to see that we have the power to call down rain. Look at James chapter 5, verse 17. And not only do we have the power to call rain blessings, but we also have the same power to stop the rain and bring curses upon uh, as judgment upon God's nations and you might uh, nations that God is judging as we see in Revelation that there are two prophets that come who can stop the rain as a part of God's judgment the Bible says that we can do that that we could stop the rain as a form of God's judgment and that we can pray for rain and how do I know that look at James chapter 5 verse 17 working up to verse 16 let's just start there Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So here the Lord says literally, That you can be like Elijah because he's just like us. You have authority over the natural world. Now, sending down rain or withholding rain is not the focus of the New Testament believer. Rather, the focus of the New Testament believer is to see that God wants a harvest of lost souls. And so praying for the rain is God's Holy Spirit, and the harvest is the lost souls. So it's biblical for us to rebuke the curse of no Holy Ghost and no harvest and repent of our sins and say, God, send revival, send down rain, and let the agricultural business be soul winning. Because soul winning should be our business, and business is good. Amen? So now look at the application in Matthew 9:36. The rain is the Holy Ghost, the crops are the people. Matthew 
making it now to be our focus. I still believe we have power over the rain and natural natural um, phenomenons, natural things. There's been people who have stopped hurricanes. There's been people who have prayed for rain and it's come. Matthew chapter 9, verse six, uh, 36, however, to me is our focus of what the rain in the the agriculture really is to us in the New Testament. 9.36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Amen? Somebody say, Workers. So in our mind today, the rain is God's Holy Spirit. We know that Pentecost celebrated the fall harvest. We know that the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost. And so what we're saying is, is that the rain of God is here today. When we're calling down the Holy Spirit, in one sense, it's actually not the proper theology because the, the-, uh, the theology of the Holy Spirit is, is that He's already here. You understand? It would be like you saying, Joe, come into the room, and I'm standing in the room. And you're like, now, Joe, really come into the room. And I'm like, I'm already here. Joe, please come into the room. Come into the room. I'm like, hello, I'm in the room. You know? It's the same thing. When we're theologically saying, come, Holy Ghost, come, Holy Ghost, he's saying, I'm here. I'm here. I'm in you. He's basically saying, let me out. Let me flow. Believe. So in that sense, the Holy Spirit's already been sent out into the world, as the Bible says in John convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, preparing a harvest so that when we come and preach, he'll confirm the word with signs and wonders. Therefore, wherever we go with the Holy Spirit, the rain, there's always a harvest ready for us to bring in of lost souls. So technically, should we in the New Testament ask for rain? Technically not. What should we ask for? The harvest. But when we're saying send the rain, we're identifying with the Old Testament principle, which is okay to do in the New Testament, because what we're just saying is, Lord, send down the Holy Spirit, water hearts, change us, prepare us to be your vessels, and prepare them to be harvested. So it's not unbiblical, it's just not necessarily theologically the best way to understand it, because he's already come. So the idea of us calling down rain is really a relationship with us in the Holy Spirit, walking in His power, seeing Him prepare a people to be saved, because we don't save them, He saves them. And how are they harvested? Because the Holy Spirit's been dealing with them. And the Word, the Bible says, is the seed that's planted in them. And then it grows through the watering again of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? So pray for rain but yet also receive the rain, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and go out there and get your harvest. Amen? Praise God. Now go to verse 2. Verse 2, diviners. Everybody say diviners. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 2 of Zechariah. says, The idols speak deceit, the diviners see visions that lie, They tell dreams that are false. They give comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wander like sheep, oppressed for lack of a shepherd. So what were these people doing? These people were practicing false religion. If you've ever heard of the Kabbalah, 
It's a form of witchcraft in Judaism. Madonna got into this. I don't know if she still is. But there is a form of Judaism that is intertwined with paganism. They believe in the four elements of the earth, water, uh, earth, fire, and something else. Wind, there it is. The wind. and They see everything in the Bible as symbols, and uh, they take the name of God to mean something sacred. Uh, like if you say it, it becomes magical. And so this could be referring to those type of people, or it could just be fully referring to people who worship Baal. This is total demon-possessed false prophets. Either way, what these type of diviners, diviner means someone who seeks for a vision, seeks for a vision. Diviners were going after visions and dreams, and yet they weren't doing it God's way. Now listen to the message that they had. Their message was comfort. Ooh. Come on, think about that. They would go and get into these dreams and visions, this ecstatic state, and their messages were comfort. It's going to be okay. No one's going to judge you. God's not angry with you. The Babylonians aren't coming. Peace, peace, everything is fine. Look at the prosperity we're having. Remember, before Jerusalem got judged by Babylon, they were experiencing great prosperity. They were rich. They were probably the richest they had ever been except from the time of Solomon and David. There was mass prosperity. And these false prophets were telling them, don't listen to Jeremiah. Don't listen to Isaiah. Don't listen to Amos. Don't listen to these other guys. They're wrong. Peace. Safety. You're going to be okay. I want you to look at Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah who came before the captivity when these guys were really popular and they were doing their, their thing. Look what Jeremiah said. And, and by the way, as I get ready to make my application on this, I want you to understand, be wary of people who always talk about their dreams and visions. If you are young in the Lord and you're receiving dreams and visions and you like to talk about it all the time, start to guard how you do that. Because number one, you look prideful when you do it. And number two, you telling it to everybody doesn't necessarily benefit the kingdom of God. Ninety percent of what God has given me in dreams and visions has been for me personally and it would not benefit you, me telling you it, at all. And so there's no reason for me to say, I just had a dream yesterday, and in the dream, Ronald McDonald appeared. And then after Ronald McDonald appeared, then there was Elijah, and then they cooked up pancakes for me, and then I ate it, and then they told me that was the word for this nation and this and that. You understand? Of course you're supposed to have accountability. You go to your accountability part, and you guys are always praying together, your friends, your uh leaders, you know, hey, this is what God is speaking to me. This is what I'm feeling. And, and by the way, you don't need dream interpreters, okay? Sometimes like it's like you want to call up 1-900-interpret-my-dream, okay? You don't need to do that. If you are a prophet before God, Moses said, I wish that all of them were prophets like me. Now that if you can receive dreams, let me tell you something, you can receive the interpretation of the dream. It wasn't like Jeremiah was going up to Isaiah going, Isaiah, I just don't know what the broccoli meant. I understood the pancake, understood it all. What does the broccoli mean? Okay? The only people that got dream interpretations were people who didn't have the Holy Spirit. Nebuchadnezzar, 
the, the people in the, uh, the prison with Joseph. These are all the people who don't have the Holy Spirit. It's not like Jesus, Joseph is dreaming the dream going, okay, brothers, the stalks, I don't know what's going on here. Talk to me. Tell me what it means. The sun, the moon. No. They're supposed to seek God for the answer because why? God gave them the dream. So the idea of a dream interpreter is not even biblical. What you're supposed to do is seek God after the dream and then say, uh, Lord, what does this mean? And God gives you, not, uh, you know, an interpretation, an idea of what it means. And you can go to someone else and say, hey, this is what God is speaking to me. What do you sense it means? Uh, what, do you agree with this? That type of thing. Okay, then if you see people who are going out, just I'm talking about godly people now. I'm not talking about the, the, the people we're about ready to read about. But I just want to give you a little side note. Somebody say, land, yeah. If my people are watching in New Orleans, you know what I'm talking about. Something extra right here. I just want to give you just a little something extra, just a little on that five-course meal. I'm just going to put a little, you know, a little pop on the side. You know, I'm going to give you a little something extra on your buffet right here. You know what I'm saying? Give me a little crackers on the table, okay, a little bread, okay? Just a little something extra here. It's not the part of the course. It's just a little something extra. When you go around talking about your dream to other people like that, that, what that does is it makes you try to look like you're building yourself up and putting others down. Well, I, brother, was in the seventh heaven last night, and Gabriel and I were talking, and Gabriel told me how awesome I was, and I just want to tell you, you know, all these things God's been telling me, you know, and, and then, and then, like, the little niños and niñas are like, ooh, you were talking with Gabriel? Yes, I talk to him every day. Can I be your friend? Maybe, you know, it... it it like the little ninos and ninos come to, to, to the to the teat, the little the little teat like they're just gonna come suckle on this person's spiritual revelation. Yeah, it's like you need to detach, okay? De- detach from the teat, you're okay, okay? You can serve yourself now, okay? You know, when 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 they say that, we're like, I, I was in heaven and I and I spoke to Michael and Michael told me be strong, and then they look at you like, What do you think? Say Guess what? I talk to Jesus every day. That's what I do. I talk to Jesus. Jesus? Yeah, that one. I talk to Him every day. And guess what? He's in my heart. He lives with me every day. So while you're traveling around in a cosmic galaxy of, of spiritual jello and all of the spiritual fluff and puff as you're doing all that, I'm hanging out with Jesus. And the things he shares with me are too private and personal and wouldn't apply to you. And I don't want you to think that you're better than me because I talk to Gabriel and you talk to Michael. So just keep it to yourself in that sense. Amen? See, because we talk to Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? That's very important for you to understand that. Now, after going past that little Dr. Pepper, little bread and butter, you know, just a little land, yeah, let's get back to diviners. Somebody say diviners. Now, these boys were the ones who were having demonic visions. These were the ones telling lies. These were the ones that were trying to get God's people distracted. And look at what Jeremiah says in chapter, chapter 23, verse 28. This is what he says concerning the people who speak dreams and visions. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 28, finding the passage. There we go. Let the prophet who has a dream tell his dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. 
For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. I Therefore I am against the false prophets who steal from one another suppo- words supposedly from me. Guys, think about this. Have you ever noticed that Deepak, Cho- uh, Deepak what's his name? Chopra sounds just like Oprah? Think about it. Have you ever understood that they all are sounding the same? When false prophets are in a land, they all sound the same. Why? Because they're taking words from each other. Some of you guys don't know who Deepak is. He's just a new age guy that kind of just blends all religions together. He's very famous with the Hollywood stars. And, and, and if you listen to Oprah, you listen to him, they sound the same. How many know if you listen to some American preachers, I won't say it to offend the people on that ship, but how many know some of them sound exactly the same way? Why? Because when the false prophets are prophets, sign they're not only getting demonic influence as the bible says but they're also stealing words from each other oh i heard somebody say this that sounds good so i'm going to put this in together oh i heard buddha say this so i'm going to say this and false prophets are stealing words from other false prophets and how does the bible say he looks at them he's against them 31 yet declares the lord i'm against those who wag those prophets who wag their own tongues and yet declare the lord declares Indeed, I'm against those who prophesy false dreams, declares the Lord. They tell them and lead my people astray with their reckless lies. Yet I did not send or appoint them. They do not benefit these people in the least, declares the Lord. So number one, how does God compare dreams, visions to his word? The word of God always trumps all of those things. Not even if they're false. You might say, well, if they're false, then it trumps it. No, his word will always trump those things because it's the word that judges those things. So even the prophets who were writing the word of God through their dreams and visions still had to confirm their words from the words that Moses had before they wrote down their dreams and visions. So what is the thing that is the one that tests, and and, and you look at gold being tested by fire and then hammered out like by a blacksmith or a jeweler, what is it that has the power to form everything else? It's the Word of God. The Word of God is that hammer that when somebody says, well, I had a dream, you start putting it in the fire and you start hammering with the Word, and if it's not in the Word and it's not biblical it will crush it and smash it to pieces and so number one look with me now to first timothy chapter four and see today that people are leading god's people in our churches astray because of false words and dreams and visions and as i was thinking about this i was thinking about why are we so susceptible to this because you know it's not like we all just want to be uh, followers of Jim Jones and different things or you know it's not like the people who convert to Mormonism in the false dreams and visions of Joseph Smith are necessarily spiritual retards it, there is got to be a reason and so I was just kind of seeking my heart why that reason is and I think it's because we always want the next level with God Okay, so think about it. You get saved, and then we tell you speak in tongues, and you're like, okay, I'm going to go to the next level. And then somebody tells you fasting, and then you go on your 40-day fast, and it really only lasts a day and a half. But yet you want it to go to the next level. You know what I'm saying? You find out it's witnessing. Now you want to witness all the time. And for some reason, 
in our heart, we get back into this works mentality, kind of like this Hindu idea. You know, if I starve myself, if I pray a hundred times, you know, this one mantra, if I roll on my back to the temple and I feed the rat, then God will do something special because I did all of that. And in our mind, this idea of somebody had this dream, and it's so miraculous that that's the next level, so i got to follow them. You know, somebody went to hell, and they talked about hell, and now we got to read that book and, like, tell everybody about it, you know. And some of you here who have not been brought up in the church, you haven't followed the trends. But there's always kind of been, like, those trends of people who have gone to hell, people who have gone to heaven, people who have seen a dream and prophesied this. And if you were around during 2000, when uh, Y2K, everybody was having dreams and visions of the you know the end times etc and and so what i want to do is guard your heart against this idea that there's another level outside of what you already have what you already have is it and you have to develop it you may not have all the power you may not have all the wisdom as other apostles and these people had but you have all of the resources and tools to do it are you listening so take for example if i said to you i want you to build a house and I said, here's, <clears throat> here's the power tools, here's the hammer, here's the, uh, the wood, here's the, the concrete. I mean, all of this is yours. Build a house. You see, our tendency now would be to say, let me find a faster way, an easier way, a different way to do this. But sometimes in, in the spiritual realm, by you going out and doing that, looking for somebody else to help you build the house, looking for uh, other tools to build the house, you're actually working counterproductive. You're not using what God gave you. When God saved you, He gave you a call. He gave you the Holy Spirit. He gives you leaders to input into your life. But these things that leaders are developing are things that God has already given you. And so what's going on is there's, there's this inner working of you developing your relationship with God. You have the hammer. you got the word. you you got the tools. you got the provision. And what you're supposed to do is work it out in life. And so if you see somebody else building a house over there, and you're like, ooh, your house has miracles, your house does this, that doesn't mean you run over there and build your house that way. Because I'm telling you, when I saw people having miracles, it's like they were saying, well, fast this many times a day. So I started doing that, and I got discouraged when I didn't see what they saw. And then when I saw people saying, well, when they did this, this happened. So I started doing those things, and that didn't happen. You see, the relationship with God is built upon the principles that he gives to all of us. And then when each one of us are building our houses, we're building this unique house unto God and collaborating with everybody else as one temple unto God. Are you listening? And so I really feel that where young believers, and even older believers, but for the most part, young believers get so into following the latest spiritual trend, and that sometimes it can be deceiving and it can lead to destruction, is because they're always looking for something else. My friends, you'll find what you need in prayer. I'm not saying that there's not somebody else doing it wonderfully and you can't go over there and just kind of learn what God is doing. But ultimately, if God doesn't tell you what he's told them, you just doing it because they told you will not work. Are you listening to me? Remember that. Just because something's working in another youth ministry, if Adolfo goes over there and goes, oh, well, I want this fruit, I want this benefit, so I'm going to do exactly what this guy's doing in his youth ministry, that that doesn't mean it's going to work that way. Are you guys with me? Somebody could say right now about us, well, Metro Praise took off the flag off their wall, waved it around, and boop, there came the nations. Is that how we did it? No. 
But even unless they say they reduced us down to that method, and now I wrote a book, a flag waving, waving for nations. God gave me a vision that whoever waves flags for nations will inherit nations. So everybody start waving flags. And you guys know. See, you guys know because you've heard the super kooky dooky spiritual people talk. You know that I could be that same way like God told us. Wave the flag. And as Ish waved the flag, I felt the nations come. And so now, there's this flag-waving anointing upon us. And everybody who waves the flag, the nations come. And I just feel i got to tell every person I ever meet in life about how God told us to wave a flag. And if you're not waving a flag, you're not on that revelation that I'm on. You see, I could talk just like those, those blah, blah, blah people. That's what they are, blah, blah. It's like, you know how I hear them when they talk to me, and they start going, well, I've been to, you know what all of a sudden I hear? I hear like that with uh, Charlie Brown, like, and I'm just like, dude, just whenever you're done, let me know. Just let me know and just praise God, okay? Because here's the deal. When you get into that, and now here's the point, here's the point. When you get into that, what happens is somebody will come and take advantage of you. And that's how these, uh, these people came about in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Because what's going on is they're not just coming up saying, hey, Christians. Remember, they're talking to Christians. Remember, God is warning the, the, the Jews against diviners. So when you're listening to this warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he's not talking about people who are already lost and unsaved on their way to hell. No, he's talking about us. And I want to tell you, I've had friends that I went to Bible college with, and all of a sudden men started telling them, well, you're supposed to meet in a house church. God told us that we're all supposed to be in house churches. And all of a sudden, because they're always looking for the next level, now they feel the next level is meeting in a house. Because God will just show up more in a house. And all of a sudden they start meeting in the house. Then they start doing a little bit this, a little bit that, and they start following these winds of doctrine. And before you know it, they're not even serving the Lord anymore. Hello, somebody. Come on. I've seen people start off spiritual, spiritual, like, oh, we've got to be spiritual. We've got to be spiritual. And they're following every wind and doctrine and every spiritual person. And then before long, they get disenfranchised. They get discouraged because these people eventually have lied to them. Like I told you before about going to get the donkey, I've known people to say, if, if the disciples went and got a donkey, I can go and get this car because preachers told them to think that way because they got revelations on how to be blessed. And they would quote things like, you, you would say in service like this, like you're playing the lottery or the, the, uh, the, the thing at Vegas, you know, you pull down a thing, and churches would say, money come, money come, in Jesus' name, money. And these pastors are teaching people, money come, money come. You understand? And, and, and I've seen people get so discouraged because of lies. And they quit because they thought there was something else. You don't need to do money come to have God bless you. Pray, seek His face, kingdom of God first, and He'll bless you. Amen? Chapter 4, verse 1. See, I mean, I just got stuck on that one. That was a good course. Amen? We're still not gnawing on this little filet mignon. Nice little sauce on top, little parsley on the side. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Okay? Why does Joseph Smith get deceived? Because he thinks that there cannot be truth within the Christian church. He wants to go to another level, so he prays, which religion should I follow? And, and God says, none of them. How many know if, if you pray a prayer like, 
which religion should I follow? How many know the devil's going to hear that too and go, hello, oh, come on, demons. Okay, demons, uh, what country are we in? Oh, we're in America. Okay, you appear as Jesus, you appear as John. Let's show up, demons. Somebody's in India. Okay, you appear as Krishna. You appear as somebody's in Spain. Okay, you appear as the mother of Mary. You know, Mary, you just, come on, the demons love it. When we think there's another thing outside of Jesus, they're right there to snatch up those worshipers, those seekers, and say, hey, right here. That's why you've got to be careful in your times of praying. Well, I want the next thing. I want the next thing. You know, now there's, there's these Christian guys going out, you know, snorting cocaine, pretending like they're getting high on Jesus. And, and, you know, instead of praying for you by laying on of hands, you know, they're like giving you like weed, like, receive it, receive it. Because they're in their mind, they're thinking, we're going to the next thing. We're going to the next thing. But it's foolishness. And if they're not careful, they're going to keep doing that, doing that until all of a sudden they're going to say having sex with women is impartation. And priests, uh, I mean uh, prophets in Christian churches would say that. Men that started off good, we're praying for the women, now we're holding women. Now I have to impart this to you sexually. It happened in a denomination my parents used to be a part of. I'm telling you the truth. So these are people who are led astray by deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And they begin to teach. Uh, these teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conscience have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received. And so these people right here, they begin to make religion. And they begin to develop all of these extra things. And so if you follow the Kabbalah, there's all these extra duties. And if you follow uh, Mormonism, you can't drink tea. And if you follow Islam, you can't eat pork. And there's this whole idea that if you do this, you get this. But the real truth is that they're hypocritical liars, damned, and sinners on their way to hell, deceived by demons. Because salvation is a gift of faith. Amen? It's a free gift received by faith. Somebody say, diviners. Now let's go to shepherds. Go back to Zechariah chapter 10, verse 3. Praise the Lord. I had fun on that one. Anybody else have fun? That was good. I just try to be led of the Lord when I preach a message like this. Just, uh, I've got the passages in front of me, but I want to really just hear what God is saying to you. So guard your heart about those things. Now let's go to shepherds, which every one of you wants to be uh, in Jesus' name. It says, my anger burns against the shepherds, verse 3, and I will punish the leaders for the Lord Almighty will care for his flock, the house of Judah, and make them like a proud horse in battle. Now, what you see right here is that God was angry with the shepherds, the priests, the religious leaders, because they used and abused the people of God. Now go to Exodus, I mean uh, Ezekiel 34, and see how this was happening, because Ezekiel comes right at the beginning of the second wave of exile into Judah, so um, from Judah to Babylon. And he's still trying to warn the people because he's, he's trying to tell them you can still have another chance and not totally get demolished, and they don't even listen to him. And one of the things that he brings up against them is Ezekiel 34, uh, that he's against the shepherds, that, that God is against these leaders. And this whole chapter, I wish I had time to read the whole chapter of Ezekiel, talks about it. But let me just give you the idea. I'll start in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them. Now, by the way, 
Our word pastor is the same word for shepherd. You understand this. When it says fivefold ministry, one of them is a pastor. That's the same Greek word for shepherd. When it comes right here in the, in the Hebrew, it's the same thing. So he's saying, I am against the pastors. I am against the people who are shepherding the flock. So you can understand this, okay? This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the pastors of Israel who take care of themselves. Should not the shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with the wool, and slaughter the choice lambs. But you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally, so that they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains on every, every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, I'm against you. He's against the shepherds. Somebody say shepherds. Now go with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. And I'm feeling another preach coming on. Amen. And these five courses might become five meals. Amen. Praise God. How many wouldn't mind a five-hour message? Come on, Jesus. First Peter chapter 5, verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. See, who are elders? They are what you're going to learn are pastors. See, there is a gift of pastoring, which means taking care of the people as a fivefold ministry. But every elder in the church is a pastor, according to Peter. Catch it right now. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also share in the glory to be revealed. Be what? Come on, be what? Be shepherds, be pastors of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never, never, never fade away. Come on. Is there any shepherds in this house today? Is there anybody that wants to make the wrong right? Is there anybody that wants to come up in the church and be like Christ to the people? Go after the one that's lost. Hallelujah. Take care of the sick and the hurting. Go and visit the poor and the needy. Not doing it for money. Sometimes we look at it, what am I going to get out of it? No. The whole purpose is what can God get out of your life? What can God get from you? He deserves the glory. As the Moverian missionaries said onto their journeys, sometimes never seeing their family again, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. That's a shepherd. You're not a hireling. You're not somebody to just take off and run when the going gets tough. You're supposed to get going. Come on. You're not supposed to give up and leave your sheep to be destroyed. You're supposed to go and do home visitations. You're supposed to get out there on the streets and get the lost backsliders. Come on. You're supposed to care about them. You're supposed to pray for them daily, thinking about them often, how you can help develop them and grow them, not what you can get out of their wool, out of their food, even though sometimes you may want to have lamb chops, even though sometimes they may bite, even though sometimes they may be a little stubborn, you are called to love them and be like Christ and lay down your life for them. If you want to be a shepherd, somebody say, help me, Jesus. Come on, somebody say, help me, Jesus. You see, God is looking for people who want to shepherd his flock. He was saying to the people of Zacharias' day, Josh, and Davi, Griselda, he was saying, you know what, I was against them. And because of the church, because of what they did, I judged the land. 
Listen to me, my friends. When you go into a room and it's dark, you don't curse the darkness. You're upset at the light bulb. It's not the reason there's sinners in the earth that the earth is so dark. It's the reason that the church, the light, is not on. I'm going to say that again. It's not their fault there's no light here. They're dark. They can never produce light. If there's no light here, it's the church's fault. It's the light bulb's fault. And no matter how many watts the light bulb is, no matter how pitch black the room is, whenever a light comes on, it expels darkness. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He said, you are the light of the world. You see, we're called to be shepherds. Do not be like the televangelist that falls into sin. Do not be like the aloof, lazy pastor who doesn't care who comes in out of his congregation. Be the pastor that loves people. Be the elder, the overseer that takes care of people. You might say, Pastor, well, I'm just going to be an evangelist. It doesn't matter. For you to be an evangelist, you have to be appointed as an elder or a deacon. Philip was an evangelist. And so as a leader, you have to pastor people. You You have to care for people by this definition. Maybe you won't be there every week with them, but when you're there with them, you have to do what this says. Not lord over them, not be greedy, but take care of them. They're under your care and serve them. Somebody say serve them. Serve the people of God. Why? Because God has entrusted them to you. And woe unto the church that doesn't serve them. Because of that, not only will God judge that congregation, those people, those leaders, but he'll judge a nation. Just like he did in the time of Ezekiel. When they fell, the people fell. And you know how it goes. Jesus says, you strike the shepherd, the sheep uh, wander, scatter. So today, you and I are supposed to go get them. Be a good shepherd. Love people. Ask God to have a heart for people. Ask God to have a heart for them and to see them as a shepherd. You know, even just like this retreat, watching how we have to feed everybody on this retreat, I feel like a shepherd. I feel like I'm going out to the field, you know, throwing out the grain. You can see everybody line up, or whatever sheep make. That's like a cow. It's like, I don't know, that's whatever. That's like a wounded moose right there. And they come, and they're like, and I'm just like watching them all eat. And then I watch you guys sit down, and it's like you can just time it. Now watch them go to the bathroom, you know. And it's just like, as a pastor, you just shepherd people. Seriously, you're like, you're like taking care of them. And then like, you tell them to do something, and then they all herd over here. Like you say, okay, everybody get upstairs. Like, they all herd over there. And they're all herd, you know. I don't know what that is. This is the think moose. That's all I'm thinking right now. And they all heard over there. And then you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and that's a special honor that God's given you. And, and to me, I know in my young days, I used to, you know, sometimes get prideful. And, and, and I, man, I just look back on those foolish times. And there's nothing more that grieves my heart now, being more mature in the Lord. When I see people that, that want to have like that rock star anointing, that just want the crowd to be with them for their own benefit. And you can tell when you're around other ministers. And sometimes it's like they just want to do things with the church just to, just to make themselves feel good. You know, do this, do that. And you can see like their heart is not right. They're not preaching with the right heart. And it's just kind of like manipulating the sheep. And don't
Don't do that. Take care of the sheep. Don't look at the church as what you can get out of it. What if you never get a 401k plan working at a church? What if you never get to, uh, to have the honor of being full-time? What if you had to be like Paul and continually work your whole life? My friends, those are things I've had to answer and come to grips with, even in my own family. Don't look at it like that. Look at it as you're serving the people. You're called to people and to do it unto God. Amen? Somebody say, mighty men. Now go back to Zechariah chapter 10, 4 through 5. I believe I can do this these next two in the next few moments. Mighty men. Zechariah chapter 4 now. From Judah will come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler. Together they will be like mighty men. Everybody say mighty men. Trampling the muddy streets in battle because the Lord is with them. They will fight and overthrow the horsemen. So right here, you see that God says he's going to make them mighty again. Now we know, once again in prophecy, the only mighty men we really ever see were the Maccabees. And they fight against the oppression. But they really didn't overcome and conquer like David's mighty men. And you can read about that because that's the reference it's referring to when it says mighty men in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8. And these mighty men of David would conquer thousands at a time, some of them just individually. And I love the story. It tells about the one man. It was over a bean field, a bean field. And all the army leaves. And this dude is like, you are not taking my frijoles. Come on, baby, let's get it on. And then they come, dude, and the Bible says he slays so many of them that when he is done, you cannot even the you can't even get the sword out of his hand. It's like you have to like take, you know, like like a wrench or a vice grips and like get him to loose the sword because he had just gripped up like that. And that is true. You can get to the point if you hold on to something that long, your muscles will get like in a freezed position like that. And this man was just a bad man, a jammer for Jesus. Amen. And so, you know, Zechariah is prophesying to the people, you're going to have some bad mamma jammas. You're going to have some awesome dudes up in the thug dizzle. These guys are going to be bad, man. They're going to conquer. They're going to trample like, like on muddy streets on a battlefield because the Lord will be with them, and they'll even overthrow the horsemen. You know, they're going to be standing, a horse going to come. They're going to kind of dodge the horse and be like, pow, and like knock them off his horse. Come on. Or they'll just stand there and just like cut down the horse's legs, like slaughter that little horse. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Crush it. See, the Bible is serious, man. The Bible is not a Sunday, a Saturday morning cartoon. Hello? The Bible makes Lord of the Rings, Matrix, all that look like it's a silly story here, man. It looks like Ronald McDonald compared to this. I mean, we're talking about a woman one time had a king hiding in her tent. She went and took a tent peg, put a hammer on it, pow, right through his temple, the Bible says, through his head to the ground. That's what a woman did, Shikaboomba. That's what we do to demons, amen? Let me tell you how you're mighty men. Go to mighty men and women. Uh, Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And as you're turning there, I want to read the rest of Zechariah that deals with the mighty men. Because if you notice in this passage, it goes 4 and 5, and then 6 through 9 deals with compassion, and then 10 through 12 goes back to mighty men. Sometimes passages do that. It's not really impressive. My wife was impressed. I figured that out. Oh. 
It's just, you know, it's just what it is, okay? In verse 10. So I'm just going to read it as you're there in Romans 8, 28. If you want to flip back, you can real quick. It says, I will bring them from Egypt and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them from Gilead, Lebanon. There will not be room enough for them. They will pass through the sea of trouble. The surging sea will be subdued. All the depths of the Nile will dry up. Assyria's pride will be brought down. Egypt's scepter will pass away. I will strengthen them in the Lord, and in his name they will walk. So these awesome guys are going to come out of captivity, and they're going to fight for God and they're going to pass through um, the sea of affliction, the sea of trouble, okay? Now, I could have made that a separate point about, you know, bringing down the pride of the nations, but uh, really it just kind of fits more along with the mighty men thing. And that's up to you if you see it a little bit differently. Now, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, talking about how today are we these mighty conquerors. See, I believe that coming from Judah, Judah meaning praise, and there's the lion of Judah. Who's the lion of Judah? Jesus coming from the the house of Judah. You see, I believe that this is prophesying about us, that we will be the mighty men, that we will trample down our enemies because the same word trample is actually used in Luke when he says, I've given you power to trample on snakes and scorpions and by everything evil, nothing will hurt you. You see, God is teaching us that you're to be a conqueror. Now look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28, for the sake of the gospel. And we know we don't war against flesh and blood. If there's any guy here that wants to see what it would be like to split a skull with a, with a nail and a, and, a, and a tent peg, I'm sorry you don't get the chance to do that. You can talk to God about that and we'll help counsel you. Amen? But what you do get to do is fight a spiritual battle with armor. And it's not like, I'm going to a spiritual battle. Here's my shield. No, this is actually more of a real battle than splitting people's head open with tent pegs. Okay? This is a real battle. There are real demons fighting against us. And it's for eternal souls. Eternal souls. Just get that in your mind. Eternal souls. Now look at First um, Corinthians, uh, second, uh, Romans 8, rather. Romans 8, chapter 28. Says we know that in we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also pro, uh, predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those He predestined, He called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? You see, who can be against us? Continuing, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also now, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Our trouble, or hardship, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So that's how we become conquerors is through Christ Jesus. And now we know that we are indestructible when we're on God's side against the kingdom of darkness. Now go to Ephesians 6, which I was just quoting before. And here's how you fight. Ephesians chapter 6, putting on the armor of God. 
Verse 10 of chapter 6, Finally be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armor of God, that so in the day of evil comes you'll be able to stand your ground. After you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the belt plate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit. Hallelujah. How many like speaking in tongues? Praise the Lord. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for us, all the saints. Somebody say, get it on. So here's the prophecy. God's going to make an army of mighty men like David's mighty men who are going to slay thousands of demons, slay thousands of principalities. Now, if you go back to verse 12, our battle is not against flesh and blood of uh, Ephesians 6, but our battle is against rulers. See, people have uh, looked at this from different angles. You can take it or leave it, but I'll give it to you. Look, looking at rulers as these would be the smaller types of demons that would afflict people's life, ruling over them. That Then there are authorities, uh, demons that have authority, maybe over a region, over a religious cult, authority over a government, something like that. A little bit more authority. So you understand that this is what they're saying. is This is military language, and there's rank now. So the little rulers are like little privates. These ones that have authority are like sergeants, and the other ones are going to be like lieutenants, and then lastly the generals. So you could take or leave, but something to look at. Rulers uh, being the ones that afflict people, authorities, the ones that have dominion over multiple groups, powers of this dark war, uh, the powers of this dark world being now regions, entire regions, like someone that sits over Chicago, sits a demon that could sit over, uh, like how in Daniel's day sat over Persia and sat over t- entire regions. And then it says spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. And now, lastly, these are the demons that resist God's angels from sending help and provision for us. And a lot of this does come from Daniel. And so understanding that there's this... Um, spiritual power of a dark world fighting uh, and their spirit uh, excuse me there is this power in the spiritual realm fighting his blessing from coming down and so that would be ultimately like how you could see it be like overseeing like entire nations you know demons that might be dividing the world up and so it kind of gets a little spiritual a little bit out there you know what i'm saying but i want you to get the idea you are really fighting them That's the point I'm saying here. He doesn't just say, you're just fighting bad thoughts and just evil ideas. No, you're actually fighting a military force of demons. They are an organized military force of demons. Demons. Uh, the screw tape letters written by C.S. Lewis gives a fictional account of what demons may be like as they work together in organization and rank to afflict people. It's a nice little uh, fictional story to give you the idea of what this is talking about as you read through the Bible, that there are demons that are fighting against us. Somebody say, mighty men. And lastly, would you stand up to your feet with me? Second, or uh, verses 6 through 9 in Zechariah. Just stand up. Praise the Lord. Get you to stretch out your feet. Zechariah 6 through 9. How many like the five-course meal so far? You like it? Amen. Now here's your dessert. And this is what I love. I could have preached the whole message on this one. 
Look at 6. I will strengthen the house of Judah and save the house of Joseph. I will restore them because I have compassion on them. They will be as though I had not rejected them. For I, the Lord their God, I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. The Ephraimites will become like mighty men. Their hearts will be glad with wine. Their children will see it and be glad. Their hearts will rejoice in the Lord. I will signal for them and gather them in. Surely I will redeem them. They will be as numerous as before. Though I scatter them among the peoples, yet in distant lands, they will remember me. They and their children will survive, and they will return. Look what God says to them. I will be compassionate to them. And he says, it will be as though I never rejected them. Somebody say forgiveness. Somebody say compassion. Isn't that wonderful that God says that after these people of Israel had been judged for 70 years in captivity, uh, Lilani, would you come please? He says that now as I'm restoring them, it will be as if they never had been judged. Doesn't that give hope to the backslider today? And if God loves the backslider that way, how much more you and I? How much more you and I today who are not backsliding, but at times we may fall into sin. At times we may give in to temptation. When you ask for forgiveness, you know what? You're coming to a compassionate God. You don't have to come and say, Dear God, I Before you send me to hell, can you just please think about this? Can you forgive me? No, the Bible says you can come home and face. You're his child. You can say, God, if I, I messed up, I sinned, forgive me. And you can know that he's compassionate. And the message that you can preach to others is that same message. People who are out in this world and they've been judged by God, they are in punishment of God. Maybe, you know, the, the all sinners, the Bible says, tell them so you can say God is so compassionate that when he forgives you, it will be as if you never had lived that life of sin. Can anybody relate to that? Do you feel like today you are a new creation? Do you feel that all things have passed away? Do you believe that everything has become new? Do you still think and feel like you're the person who you were before you got saved? No. You know why that is? Because God is a God of compassion.
to be mighty men and women of God that are like bows in the hand of God that are weapons used against the enemy. Be encouraged today that your ability to conquer never came from your ability. It came from His ability and you did freely given to you. That's why you're born to conquer. You didn't do the original conquering. You just got the benefit. That's more than conquering. You got the benefit of what somebody else did. And put on that armor. And with prayer, begin 